Welcome to the official podcast of DogsDaily.com, a Sports Illustrated channel. Gets to the edge. Tony Michelle will send the Dogs home to the championship game. If you're looking for the latest Georgia Bulldog news in football, basketball, baseball, and recruiting, then you're in the right place. Hosted by Dogs Daily Riders, Jeremiah Stoddard, Kyle Funderburg, and Jonathan Williams. Here's pitch. High out into right center with some carry. It's got a chance. This ball is out of here. Tucker Bradley has won it. Just sit back, relax, and prepare yourself for these hot takes you're about to listen to. All right, welcome back to another episode of Classic City Sports. We have a good one for you today. We get to celebrate a Georgia win over Clemson. So we will do that by going over the offense, going over the defense, and then let's go over what the win means for Georgia moving forward and even what the loss might mean for Clemson. We talked about Clemson and the ACC championship game, all that kind of stuff, and, and their playoff hopes before the game. So we can kind of connect those dots again afterwards and um, kind of help the viewers get a little bit of a full picture of what they're going to be looking at later in the season as well. Um, thank you again for joining us for the show today. As always, Jeremiah Stoddard, Jonathan Williams, and we're, we're excited to do this one. Um, but I'll kick it over to you and just your, your first reaction on your raw reaction on Saturday after Georgia pulled off that win. I mean, it was far from what I expected, and I think far from what anybody expected from that game. I mean, every single prediction you saw out there predicted a high-scoring, fast-paced offensive game, and a lot of people really thought it was just going to come down to who scored the most points and who got that one crucial stop, but it was the complete opposite of that. It was both defenses hashing it out against the offense. Neither offense could really get anything clicking or rolling, and it came down to which defense just absolutely dominated the other offense, and and it happened to be Georgia, and Georgia absolutely dominated every aspect of the game defensively. I mean, Clemson could get anything going. They couldn't figure anything out. Georgia had their number every single down, it seemed like, and they just had no shot at moving the ball anywhere down the field. And then Georgia was able to get a pick six, and that was the big difference of the game. I mean, we talked about how it could come down to one play or one possession, and sure enough, it did, and Georgia came on the right end of it. So really, I mean, reaction is – Wow, I was not expecting that. No, absolutely. I mean, we sat here and the I, I kind of went back and watched it a little bit too, and kind of laughed. Um, hindsight's always twenty twenty, right? So you look at it, and we're sitting here preparing for a high scoring game, yeah. a lot of offense. Um, neither team had been known for their defense last year or anything like that. We Georgia started scoring a lot more once they had JT Daniels. Yeah, they didn't play the best teams in those last four games, but they still scored an average of thirty seven points per game. Clemson was averaging, you know up that direction points per game, if not higher themselves, I believe. And you just kind of expected both offenses to really pick up in that spot and go off and, and the defense is not necessarily to be right there, um, especially with Georgia having a lot of inexperience at uh, their secondary positions. So you kind of thought that they could have a chance for DJ to actually open up the pass game against us a little bit more. And so we kind of thought that that was going to be how it went. Now, we didn't have a lot of high hopes for their running game, for Clemson's running game. Um, we did have uh, personally I had I had pretty high hopes for Georgia's running game as well, which they did end up having a decent game on the ground overall. 
but it wasn't quite what I expected there either. So it just kind of came down to both offenses having a lot of new pieces and maybe a lot for Georgia, a lot of people missing and the defenses being a lot more stout than we expected. Hindsight's always 2020 and you look back at it and we probably shouldn't have came out and said, you know, first game of the year, both offenses are going to just be clicking and firing. Um, and maybe the defenses were going to have a little bit more of an advantage there, but I mean, realistically, both teams scored a lot of points. You see, I mean, Bama put up a ton of points first. You see a lot of teams put up a bunch of points on there. I think we just drastically underestimated both teams' defenses, and especially Georgia's. I, I, before the game, I, I wouldn't have said Georgia had, you know, a top-five defense in the country. After the game, I think they made a solid argument for being a top-five defense in the country. It's week one, so we're not going to jump off the cliff here and, you know, and fully go down that road just yet because there's still a lot of games to be played. But when you look at, a former walk-on Dan Jackson getting some playing time at safety, meaningful snaps. At and Jalen Johnson, a walk-on wide receiver. And Jalen Johnson getting meaningful snaps on offense, defense. You got Lad McConkey out there, basically a starter. He's on the field most plays at wide receiver. And, you know, I mean, he's he's good. He's just not that guy. True freshman Brock Bowers leading the team in receiving yards and was taking on a full load just to start the game. I mean, a first pass, boom, right to the start, true freshman tight end. I mean, it was crazy. A Absolutely. lot of just unexpectedness that came from that game. I mean, if anybody had said, like, Georgia's going to go in this week, play two walk-ons, not score a single offensive touchdown and win that game, you're looking at that person and saying, that's absolutely ridiculous and there's no way. Hmm. I mean, it was just a game of unexpectedness. And, I mean, Kirby Smart and them basically went out there with their defense and said, we're not scared of anything that Clemson's going to throw our way. Played a freshman and TV Ringo and just said, go at it, bro. Go make some plays and let's see what you can do. A guy, they, by the way, that hasn't played a game since his like senior 2019 year in high, high school, school football. His last game in high school because he was out all year last year, didn't even get to do much because his shoulder was hurt. So he couldn't even really do anything yeah. more than, you know, study film, study, you know, playbook, all that kind of stuff. He, he couldn't do anything that involved contact at all with his shoulder being out. So it kind of, it really hurt him in that spot of it. But the young man, he if you watch the game, I there's a lot of people out there that said he had a bad game. It's because he got called for PI twice, but that doesn't necessarily mean overall he had a bad game either. No, oh, yeah. I mean, he had his moments, and that's gonna happen when you play a person like Keely Ringo. I mean, it's growing pains. Every player's gonna go through it, especially when it's taken two years for you to get back on the field since high school football. I mean, welcome to the college football, you go up against a top five team in the country and that's your first game back. You're going to have your growing pains. You're going to struggle a little bit, but he also had some parts where he did look really good and he had some flashes. I mean, Kirby Smart said it himself, like there were some really good flashes of Keely Ringo in this last game. And I would agree with that. And I mean, what else could you have asked for him to do? I mean, aside from that, there was one PI penalty that, I mean, was blatant, obviously took the guy to the ground, but I mean, other than that, basically tackled. Yeah. Basically, yeah. I mean, he panicked, which is yeah. what a lot of no, fresh players do. I mean, balls in the air, and he's like, "Oh crap! I don't like. It's I don't know big, what to do." It's we talked about it. It was the we're sitting here saying it's the biggest game of the season for Georgia and probably for Clemson as well, outside of the postseason and potential big games coming up there. But this game really had a huge role in how both seasons are going to play out for each team. And we'll once again we'll get into that. But when you put all that kind of pressure on it, and this is your first game you've gotten to play since high school and it's been over a year it was almost two years ago and this is your first chance to play a game again and it's that big yeah you might panic in a moment when they're throwing at you and I think was it um 
was it uh, number eight they were throwing to? Um, I know one of the, I th- the PI I think may have been on Engada Justin Ross or Justin it, Ross. It was one of those. I can't two. remember if it was if the one where he like tackled him was if that was Justin Ross. Or I not. can't remember either. Engada, um, that yeah, we'll get into their offense in a second too. But he was he he got he was the one that got us. Gave us some problems, that's for sure. But anyways, you can continue there. But that's, I mean, that's yeah, you panic. Yeah, and I mean that's that's going to happen. But I mean that's really all I had to say. I mean. But it's also now he has a game like that under his belt, and then he gets to go against UAB, South Carolina, Arkansas, teams like that for the next four weeks, and he really gets to figure things out. No, don't get me wrong. That's still SEC opponents. It's a mid-major, so that's a good game for him to get experience against. But still, those are good games where you can really go in, kind of get some confidence in yourself, and then once you get to the down stretch of the, of the last season, of the last part of the season – you're really comfortable. You know what's coming at you. You know what to expect at that point. So, I mean, it just, but it just goes to show you that Kirby Smart and them just weren't scared of what Clemson was going to do. I mean, like Brooks pointed out, they played a lot of man-to-man early on. They played a lot of cover one, which basically said, we don't care. Like, come at us. We want to play you one-on-one this game. They didn't show that they were scared of um, um Ungalele to run or anything like that. DJU, I don't want to butcher his name over and over. So DJU, they weren't scared of him running. I mean, this was also like the first time you've seen a Georgia defense just pin its ears back and go after the quarterback. You know, a lot of times they're more so worried about just containing the pocket, just keep them in the pocket. They just let them go at it, and they got the job done, and they got to the quarterback over and over and over again. And like I said, they just absolutely dominated this game. And with that, there were, what did we say? I think it was 21 um, total quarterback hurries yeah. for pressures. To two for Clemson. And to two for Clemson. So that made a big difference in the game overall. And we'll go ahead and jump into like a each side of the ball for Georgia real quick before we get too far in, into a full discussion on it as well. Um, well, <laughs> actually, I have, a, I have something for you all. So if you want a real, just a f- quick summary of the game itself, I got it for you in a 17-second video right here ready where you gonna be throwing touchdowns right there though in the pocket intercepted dumping the route is christopher smith a foot race can the quarterback catch him he cannot pick six georgia and that was the game in 17 <laughs> seconds literally it. right there so we'll go into that and, and use it to talk about the offense and how that played out so when you look at Georgia's offense in this game, total offense, um, Georgia had what? 200 and, 256 yards total offense in the game. So not a ton. You know, we, we were sitting here talking before the game and saying that they would have 400 yards, you know, total yeah. offense is what we were kind of thinking as easy, not too crazy of a thing, thinking that, you know, JT could throw for 300 yards have 150 yards on the ground kind of thing. Yeah. Um, you know, looking at going over 400 yards total offense for sure. And it just didn't play out that way. And I don't think for, for Georgia fans, I don't think you should be scared with that. So what I mean by that is you're going into a game against a, a top five opponent, the number three team in the country, and you don't have your starting tight end, your starting wide receiver you don't have your i guess your your other starting wide receiver slash tight end in every multiple over, receivers whatever yeah it, it, you don't have those guys uh you don't have uh, we, there's a whole list of people you didn't you didn't have darnell washington you didn't have eric gilbert you didn't have george pickens you didn't have dominic blaylock 
you had Jermaine Burton, um, but that's that you was the, had Jermaine yeah Burton. that was your star wide receiver, which I love Jermaine Burton and I think he's a stud. He's going to be that guy, but he was the only one out there running with Jalen Johnson, Lad McConkey, um, freshman tight end Brock Bowers, who played his butt off and, and had a great game in a big game like that. So that's not taking anything against him. But when you look at the people on the field like that, and you see they saw you have a 200 yard game receiving with a couple touchdowns against Mississippi State last year, they're probably bracket coveraging on oh, yeah, you. Absolutely. You've got a couple people on you. Now, when we're, and it's kind of hard to say because we can just look at the stat lines of everything and and kind of just see how it played out um, in, you know, post-game stuff. But when you're watching the TV copy, you're ball-watching. You know, as Brooks likes to say, you're ball-watching, you're, you're watching the play, which, I mean, it makes sense. And you also don't have the camera views to be able to see everything that's going on to really see like how everything played out. Sure. You didn't see, I mean, you didn't see Jermaine Burton get targeted a ton. And to me, that says they were probably covering him with two guys most of the time. And you can't expect him to have a crazy game like that, which I do think that that's part of why, you know, Brock Bowers and other, and Lad McConkey had more opportunities to make plays because they were, they were the only ones that really, um, you know, they, they were younger, you know, they were, the guys that they weren't really prepared to have big games. And so they, they kind of focused in different areas on it defensively, which makes sense. It's logical, right? But it did get to them in, in the end of it. So when you're looking at a game from Jermaine Burton, you can't say he didn't have a good game at all because you don't know. We, unless you have like the all 22 where you can see all camera angles and see every bit of it to follow him instead of seeing the ball on the play, you can't really say how that went. Um, but with that being said, like that was it. Other than that, you know, you had freshmen or, you know, true freshmen and, all that playing around him. You had Kier Jackson who didn't play on offense. All he did was do punt returns. Yeah. It's a big so deal. he was healthy and he was in the game. Sure. But he didn't, he didn't line up to go out and catch a pass. Not so once. not one time. So, I mean, I'm not making excuses for Georgia on this by any means, because they definitely could have put a little bit more on the board, but I think a lot of that played in to the type of game that they played. So everybody's looking at Georgia and saying that they don't have an offense. Maybe that Todd Munkin saw what they were going up against being a top five team in the country and a game where we going, if we're smart enough to go into it, knowing that this is going to be a one possession game where one play, one turnover, like the pick six could be the difference in the game. You don't think Todd Munkin and them realized the same thing. And you're, you don't think your quarterback realizes the same thing. Yeah. And it's not even like he didn't try to go downfield. There's a few plays that he did throw downfield that didn't connect because they just weren't there. And you know, a receiver, a bad throw, whatever you want to say, or maybe the receiver just wasn't in the right spot, that kind of thing, a couple of little plays that the ball was almost thrown away on deeper routes. And then you had the ones where you can watch the game back and you'll see there's a few times where JT drops that back shoulder, starts to separate his hands and opens his hips looking downfield, but then thinks better of it because he's grown as a quarterback and he wanted to protect the ball more. So he turns and then he drops it off for five yards. You know, uh, Brooks Austin did his his breakdowns on the, the game as well. And Georgia threw seven screen passes. So seven of his past, you know, attempts were behind the line of scrimmage. That's not including the other ones that were like a yard or two past the line of scrimmage that were just like little dump off passes there as well. The average attempt, I think we looked at it a minute ago and it was around six yards per mm-hmm. attempt. And that became the game style because I think Georgia adjusted to what we got out there and saw how things were playing out. And they said, you know what? We'll outlast them. Yeah, and I think also we have to take into consideration is that 
especially by halftime, once you are realizing what your defense is doing, I think Kirby and Munkin were completely confident in what in that their defense was going to stop them every single time that they had the ball. And so now, of course, they were going to try and score points. Obviously, that was that's not me saying that they were just kind of like, oh, okay, like we'll just hand it off three times, take our three and out and give it right back to them. But it was just more so of they'll say, we'll throw a screen pass, and if we break it open right there on the screen, if we get a hat on a hat and we break it wide open on that play and score, then that's great. But it wasn't like you were saying where we were like, okay, we need JT to throw a 45-yard bomb on this drive to put up some points on the board. They were comfortable with it being a one-possession game or a two-possession game at one point as well and just saying, defense, go get, keep on doing what you're doing. They were confident in that because, I mean, everybody saw it watching that game. There was not a single time where it really felt like Clemson ever had anything going at any point. Or, or deep, and it never really seemed like DJU got comfortable in the pocket. He just looked scattered the entire time. So I think by halftime of that game, I mean, Kirby and them are probably just saying like, look, our defense is playing out of their mind right now. Let's just keep it that way. Maybe we force them to make another mistake. We'll just play it safe on offense for now until we are forced to make a big play on offense. And they just were never forced to make a big play on offense until the end of the game where they needed to sustain a drive and kill the clock. And they just fed Zamir Wyatt over and over and he got the job done. So I feel like that's, I feel like they probably went into the game with that type of game plan where it's kind of keep it short on offense, take what you can get. But then especially by halftime, they just were really settled in with, being okay with that being their game plan. And they became very confident in that being their game plan. Absolutely. And I think part of it also became a, you realize the time of possession kind of situation, what's going on and how that, that plays into how you're controlling the game and what you feel like your defense is able to do and what your offense is doing, even if they're not scoring a ton. When you look at the time of possession breakdown on it, in the first quarter, Georgia had the ball for 12 minutes. They had two drives that were over five minutes long in the first quarter that one ended in a field goal attempt, so that was a good drive. They moved the ball. They had a field goal attempt, and the first one was a five-minute and ten drive that led to a punt. But they were moving the ball fairly well as far as getting several plays off. They had eight plays for 27 yards in the first uh, in the first drive, and the second one was 12 plays for 25 yards. So they didn't go extremely far, but they, they took a lot of time up, and they did run a fair number of plays in those two drives in the first quarter. And – the, one of the one of the possessions don't really count. It's like the fumble that went off of the foot yeah. of Kendall Milton. So that one is a zero second, you know, one on there in the second quarter. Clemson dominated the second quarter in time of possession. They had the ball for 10 minutes and 40 seconds. But part of that's because that pick six was a zero second possession for Georgia or for Clemson, whatever you want to call it. And so they yeah. immediately got the ball back to run down again. And on that, they had had the ball for a little while before mm-hmm. he threw that pick. They yep. were moving down the field. They were. And they had killed some clock. So – the second quarter was a little deceiving with that. But when you look at it as a coach, right, as, as Kirby Smart, Dan Lanning, and um, Todd Munkin, when you all are looking at it at halftime, you say, hey, realistically, we can dominate time of possession for the most part. So why don't we go ahead and just keep playing this, this safe game on offense and let our defense win the game for us? Kirby loves defense. He's a very defensive-minded coach. And – Dan Lanning has showed that he's incredible on that side of the ball as far as keeping our team ready to go and, and performing outstanding. So when you combine all that and then they, they can sit there and say, hey, Todd, you know, you know what you're dealing with on offense right now where your weapons, you're missing a lot of them stuff. You don't have as much that you would like to. Let's let's get the ball out of the quarterback's hand quickly. Let's not let them get on a roll with their incredible defensive line on that part. 
and let's live to, to fight another down. Let's live to fight another possession. Give our defense a chance because, like you said, they're not scoring on us tonight. After halftime, they were, they were going, they can't move the ball on us. They can't run the ball at all, and they can barely throw the ball downfield. They had no answer for what UGA was throwing at them. I mean, it, it didn't matter what kind of scheme they went out there with. It didn't matter. I mean, screens. I mean, we talked about I, or we talked about last week how something they love to do with Justin Ross is just get him out in space and throw screens to him. I think there was maybe one screen where Justin Ross picked up maybe eight yards on it. Everything else got blown up in the backfield and was contained very quickly. And so even when they were trying to force the ball to the, one of their best playmakers and just say, like, let's try and get something going with him, like that's our go-to right there. Even that wasn't an answer for them at the time. I mean, you guys like Latavius Bernie who were just eating blocks and getting into the backfield. They're trying screen pass extensions with their running backs or anything. So they just had no answer for Georgia's defense. And then also, I mean, when you have someone like DJU who doesn't have a lot of experience, what's great for that? Cause chaos. And they had chaos in their backfield the entire time. Gave DJU no time to throw it all and was just living in the backfield. And so when you have a game like that, why not rely on your defense? I mean, it's the best thing going for you. So and that's a big reason why Georgia won the game. I mean, they relied on their defense, something that Kirby Smart loves to do, and he's a big defensive guy. And so, I mean, people were saying, like, Kirby Smart finally got to win a big game the way that he wants to play games, which is defensively and let your offense do what they have to do, what is needed of them to win the game. And that's what happened. So. Let me all right. Let me talk to Dog Nation for just a second on this. Some of y'all are upset with this team and concerned about the team after a top five win in, frankly, enemy territory in North Carolina, Charlotte, far from home in Georgia, a lot closer to Clemson. You go into that game missing Darnell Washington. I already went over this list once. I'll go over it again. Darnell Washington, Eric Gilbert, George Pickens, Dominic Blaylock. You didn't have Kyrus Jackson on offense. And then so you had Jermaine Burton. And then you had a freshman tight end in Brock Bowers. You had Jalen Johnson, who was a walk-on wide receiver at one point playing in the game. All of that on offense. You walk away winning a game against Clemson in the first game of the year where you see a lot of mistakes. You see a lot of stuff like that. <clears throat> and you're upset that you won a game because your offense didn't put up a lot of points. Sit back and relax a little and enjoy the ride that you're about to go on with Georgia football because this first game, it, it literally just paved the path for Georgia ha to have unreal expectations. You can sit back with realistic expectations of saying Georgia should be in the playoffs this year. After week one. After week one. That's realistic ex expectations. That's not your, your normal Georgia fan that everyone likes to talk about and says, oh yeah, it's always next year. It's always this year. It's always... You know, we're that team all the time. Georgia has that team this year. <clears throat> Don't worry about week one only scoring three points on offense and winning a game 10 to three against a top five matchup. Don't let that make you think your team is not going to be good. Because guess what? You're about to go play UAB. You're about to go play South Carolina and then Arkansas. And you're going to see the team score 30 plus points in all of those games. And you're going to realize you know what, maybe it wasn't so bad week one. And guess what? All of those offensive players I listed being out, every single one of them theoretically can be back before December. 
yeah. Way sooner for a few of them. Way yeah. sooner for a few of them. But if you have all of those players back by December, look out. Sit back. Enjoy a win against a top five team when Kirby is now 10 and 6 against AP 20, top 25, top 10 teams. 10 and 6 at this point. Enjoy it. Don't compare yourselves to Georgia or to, to Alabama fans or to Alabama who played Miami. That's not the same matchup. So don't compare the two teams there as well. And they also, I just listed all the players missing for Georgia on offense. Just be happy you got the win and walk away with it. That's all you need to do. I mean, for the longest time, what have Georgia fans been warning? They've been warning a coach that can win the big games because, I mean, every it seemed like over and over, it was just like, we lose the big games. Like, we're, we're so good, but the, we just cannot find a way to grind out wins in those big games. You have someone that wins those big games. Like I was saying earlier um, to you is that Kirby Smart is now 10-6 and six against AP top 10 teams. That's the winningest record in – Georgia history for a head coach ever 10 and six against top 10 teams. That's insane. And so, I mean, it's, it's only going to grow from here. I mean, you're talking about a week one, top five matchup. It didn't matter if Georgia won that game two to nothing, three to nothing, whatever. As long as Georgia came out of this week with a win, it it was a big win. And you know who is loving it? Recruits are loving it. I mean, there was multiple recruits who were at that game paying attention to, Oh, Defensive tackles who were there. Barry Alexander, I believe, was there. That's a big defensive prospect that Georgia is wanting badly for this class. I think he probably took notice of what was going on in that game. There were offensive recruits who were in that stadium. They were probably taking notice, too. There's a tight end prospect who was there. He was probably taking notice. Oh, dang, Brock Bowers already getting in the mix. Good things still happen from that game. Recruits were loving it. I mean, it's not just a big win for this season. It's a big win for the program. I mean, it's a top-five win against Clemson, an established head coach in Dabo Sweeney who's who's been successful for a long time now. I mean, we're talking about a team that's in the playoff every single year. I mean, that is a huge win, not only for this year, but, I mean, just for the program in general. I mean, this is a monumental win. So don't get it twisted. Like, yeah, like, okay, yeah, we won, but the offense, man, like, gosh, they just really couldn't do anything. That's a real concern. It's not a concern. You had, you had to find a way to win and beat Clemson week one, and you found a way to beat Clemson in week one, and it sets you up perfectly for the remainder of the season to where, like we said, you are a legitimate playoff team now. Like, you're ranked number two now, legit. Like, you're in the top two in the nation right now. It's a big win, and it's, it's, and so there's no complaining. There's, there's nothing bad about that game that you could say. It's just a big win for Georgia, period. So let's talk about this a little bit more too, right? So you had in, in this situation where, you know, you have Georgia fans out there upset about a, a top five win and week one where I'm going to make two points. One, if Georgia were to go to a national championship game and win that game by three or 10 to three with no offensive touchdowns, would you be upset? Ain't nobody complaining about that. Are you going to sit there and say, yeah, we won a national championship, but man, our offense sure sucks. I don't know what to do about that. No, you're going to be celebrating and and all of that because that's all that matters at the end of the day is you won the game. And no, this wasn't a national championship game. It was Clemson week one. But that was a game that most people expected Georgia to lose. That was a uh, the FPI had it about a 70% chance for Clemson to win that game, which you if you take a lot of stock in that, the like FPI is just a you know statistical number kind of thing. It doesn't really take all things into a factor there. So I'm not using that as like a measuring stick, but you get my point. If you take that game, say it was a national championship type game, because guess what? 
Clemson could be a playoff team, which we'll get into that again in a minute. If they're a playoff team and you go to match up against them like this, are you going to be upset if you beat them in the playoffs in the same situation? You shouldn't be. I sure hope your answer is no. So the second side to this is Georgia plays that team in in week one, wins the game. That's all that matters, first of all. It's all you need to care about. You have Oklahoma barely beating Tulane by five points, and they might have lost had this quarterback for Tulane gotten half a yard more on a fourth down play that he reached out and the ball touched half a yard short. Had he got a first down, they were moving the ball. They might have scored. And at that point, they could have an upset in, in Oklahoma. That's number one. Number two, which that was the number two team in the country, by the way, Oklahoma. Then you have Ohio State. It's playing Minnesota, an unranked team. Almost loses that game. They, they scored, sure. But they, they're playing an unranked team. They scored 35 points or whatever it was. I don't remember the final score. But they only won by seven points to an unranked team. Why does it matter if they scored 35 if they still only won by seven points? Same margin of victory, and they played a much, much less talented team. Ask UNC how their season started off. Had a Heisman hopeful quarterback. Heisman favorite. Heisman, yeah, Heisman, Heisman favorite. favorite. Up, I mean, yeah, you're. I mean, people are talking about it's between Rattler and Sam Howell, and they're zero and one to start the year versus unranked Virginia Tech. So, you you tell me, should you walk away with a win over a top five team and be happy with it, or and complain or complain about your offense in the game, knowing that there's a lot to come and there's a lot more time for them to grow and develop over it? That's all I ask. As far as our offense goes at the University of Georgia. You should be very happy with the way that they played in that game because they didn't make a bunch of mistakes. The, the one big mistake that was made was the pick by JT Daniels. But I went back and I, went, I watched that game back again on Sunday and I noticed something. Clemson just did a really good job adjusting to something. I mean, they made a play. They, bait, they baited it and it worked out because it was a defensive adjustment by Clemson. When there was about three minutes left in the first quarter, there's a play, it was a out route um, to Brock Bowers. He ended up catching it, got about a 15-yard gain on it or something along that line, 10-yard gain or something. But anyways, he, he goes up, and when he gets to the top of his route, Miles Murphy actually dropped back into his own coverage right there at the break point of that route. And it, JT timed it as soon as he cut to his left around Murphy. That's when the ball was thrown, and it just happened to be perfect right there. Well, fast forward to when he goes and throws his pick. Defense is in a similar zone coverage right there at that breaking point of the route area, and it wasn't an out route that time. You had the receiver. I think it was Brock Bowers again. He went inside, um, and then we had another receiver on the outside that actually ran like a, a button hook of some sort or a comeback route. I can't remember exactly what it was either. But anyways, instead of having Miles Murphy – in that zone coverage right there. And same exact type of situation, it ended up being Spectre, who was one of their best players on defense that everyone talked about going into the game. They're one of their inside linebackers to watch out for. He's the one playing zone coverage on that play. And instead, he's watching, and he drifts to the, the left side up against the boundary where that, that wide receiver's you know waiting for that comeback route. And that's where JT threw the ball to the same side of the field. It was, they saw something. They saw like, the way we were lined up again, they saw the way it played out the first time. 
And so he was prepared. He's, he's used to playing zone coverage more than Miles Murphy is. It was a good defensive adjustment. It was a mistake by JT, sure. Good defensive adjustment can be stronger you know, than a bad play on the quarterback. It, it can make a big difference. It, it can go that way rather than just being a bad play by JT. It wasn't a great play, don't get me wrong. And it didn't cost us, though. Nope. It didn't lead to anything. And that was their one big mistake on offense. Everything else, pretty consistent. You know, you had some missed blocks. You had some missed assignments, all that kind of stuff. You had, um, you know, some wide receivers that weren't blocking on the outside very well. Um, that's about it. Other than that, man, you, you can't even complain about it. And, I mean, there's there's a major reason why you shouldn't be complaining about a win. And I wrote an article last week for um, – Dogs Daily basically said, what is at risk for Georgia? What is at risk or what is at gain for Georgia if they win or lose this game? Really, it was there was a bit more to lose if you lost the game. And there was, of course, more to win. But really, it came down to nothing. And Kirby Smart mentioned that in his post-game interview where he said, you know, it's the same thing if we would have lost this game. Everything is still in front of us. But there's a big difference if you win this game. One you have the chance now to go under a really good chance to go undefeated in the regular season. And then, which basically means assuming that the person you play from the West is also undefeated or with a one loss, you can basically go on the SC championship game, play it close, lose or win. And you're in the cultural playoff. No questions asked. Whereas if you lose that game, SEC championship game probably becomes a must win game for you. So now that you've won this game, I mean, the door is wide open for you to find yourself in the college football playoff if you're Georgia. As long as you take care of business in the SEC East and your two Western opponents, which Georgia should do. I mean, they should be, I mean, they should be, they will be favored in every single game remaining on their schedule. So as long as you take business, take care of business there, you're in prime position to be in a great spot in the college football playoff, probably a top two seed in the college football playoff because of this win. So, like I said, it didn't matter how you won this game. As long as you found a way to win, it's a big deal. I mean, it is a big deal for the remainder of the season and your, for what the rest of your outlook is for Georgia as well. I mean, talking about being able to go into the SC championship game against Alabama, be like, eh, if we lose, who cares? Like, we're as probably. As long as you don't get blown out. Kind yeah, of just don't yeah. get beat by 40. I mean, that's a, I mean, that's a gift. That is, and that's because you won this game. You have a win that's like, yeah, we beat a top five opponent, neutral field. And now we, so as long as you take care of business, you're good to go now. That's all that matters. Just take care of business. So. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it, it's pretty simple. I mean, then you flip over and you look at Georgia's defensive performance as a whole, which we haven't, we kind of hinted at a few things. We'll dive into some of the stats, some of the numbers um, that you saw out there with that incredible defensive front. We talked about last week before we even, you know, before the game was played, we said that the game would be decided between the trenches you know, in the trenches between the front seven of each team and the offensive line of the other team. That's exactly what happened. When you look at a Georgia defensive front that had seven sacks, seven, six different players had a sack with N'Kobe Dean having two. 21 QB hurries. 21 quarterback hurries. You gave up a net two total rushing yards. I mean, I mean, Clemson, the game was won between the you know between the trenches right there, right in the trenches. Yeah, and it went Georgia's way because of that stuff right there. You ended a 144 game streak of Clemson scoring in the first half. 144 games. I think that dates back to like 2008. 
something ridiculous like that. Two, 144 games they scored straight in the first half. You ended that last Saturday. And then also, like we said last week, games that Clemson loses, they average a little less than two yards, two yards per carry. You held them to two the whole game. I mean, that is the definition of why you won this game. It was one in the trenches. Georgia reset the line of scrimmage every single down. I mean, go back and watch the tape. Go back and look at Brooks's defensive breakdown for Georgia. I mean, every single time that Clemson offensive line was getting their butt handed to them every single play. They wanted nothing to do with any of those Georgia front seven. Nothing to do with them because they were getting it shoved in their face every single play. And Georgia had no remorse for human life on defense when I mean, it guards getting to the quarterback or anybody. It didn't matter who it was. They were all getting in the mix. That is why you won this game, period. Absolutely. And, I mean, it's like you said, the best thing to do, go back and watch Brooks's film breakdowns of it. Um, you can, A little more in-depth than us. You can see all of everything we've talked about, but he shows you where it happened as well. We don't. I'm not going to sit here and try to break down film for you. Can't do that. It's not what I do. We talk about the games, and we can give you some insight that way, but he'll show you what you're in, you'll see it. And it just makes such a big difference when you're looking at consistently and he'll draw a line where the line of scrimmage starts. And then all of a sudden, you know, one second into the play and you see this and the, the offensive line is completely reset two yards behind that. Instantly. Consistently. Every single Instantly play. and consistently. Every single play. You are controlling the line of scrimmage. That's how you win those types of games. And, once again, I'm going to flip back to the offense part real quick on this. When you look at it and you get into that last drive, right? You talk about Georgia's offense being terrible, not scoring a lot of points, you know, not doing well, looking bad, all that good stuff, right? It came down to the games on the line. There's four minutes left. You need to get two to three first downs. Everyone and their mama on t- watching on TV knows you're running the ball. So every single player on the other team and every coach on the other team knows Selling you're running the ball. They know you're throwing the ball. Running or the running ball. the ball. I'm right. sorry. No. They know you're running the ball. And guess what? Shove it down their throat. You run down their throat for four straight minutes. Move the ball fairly well, too. Gain oh, like 30-plus yeah. yards doing so. And it, everyone knows what's happening. I that's mean, that's grown man football. Yeah, and I mean it's worth noting too. I I, I said this. Um, I was talking about this last week with some people. Is that something that isn't being talked about a lot? Is it the performance by Georgia's offensive line? I mean, we talked about all last week. Incredible. About, you have Miles Murphy. You have Brian Brissy. I mean, you have all of these dudes on Clemson's defensive line that are just elite specimen football players that are going to come after you, and they're really really good. Clemson had one sack. Two QB hurries the entire game versus Georgia's seven and twenty-one. I mean, that is that that is crazy. I mean, we I mean we said that we liked Georgia's offensive line matchup against Clemson's defensive line better than we did vice versa. But I mean, I I mean allowing one sack to those guys and then also to have as many rushing yards as you did, especially towards the end of the game, like you said, in a time where everybody knows you're running the ball to be able to just send it down to them and just pound it on the ground at will, that is saying something. I mean, the performance by Georgia's offensive line should be noted and should be celebrated without a doubt. I mean, that is, that's a great job by them to protect their quarterback and to make plays when they needed them. Absolutely. And to go back to, once again, it's a game plan and a, strat- a strategy side of things from Georgia, the way they played offense to win that game. Think about it. 
all of those stars on defense, especially their defensive line and the concerns we had of it. One thing that JT said before the game himself was he had been working on getting the ball out of his hand quickly because he knew they got they, they send all out blitzes. They, they get to the quarterback efficiently. And that's what he needed to work on was getting the ball out of his hand quickly. You look at the fact that he was only hurried two times, got sacked once. And there's a reason that the ball, the average attempt was about six yards, average completion about six yards. Because he was getting the ball out of his hands quickly because that's how you win that game. Especially without all of your stars at wide receiver and your skill positions on offense outside of running back. That's how you win that game. You get the ball out of your quarterback's hand fast. That means you don't have a bunch of 60-yard plays, 40-yard plays. That's fine. But that's how you win that type of game. So before you sit here and say that they had a terrible offensive performance, maybe you should look at the strategic side of it and say, Know what you're going up against. We were concerned about the offensive line play for Georgia because there was a lot of young guys, talented guys, but young guys, a lot less experienced. I mean, heck, you lost your starting right guard first two plays of the game. Second or third play, yeah. Yeah, yeah. out for the season. You got yeah. Tate Rattledge going down. So right away, you're down that player, and you, you've got to plug somebody else in. You plug in Warren Erickson, who has a, a broken hand, hand yeah. who normally plays center as well. So you have a center with a broken hand playing right guard. Yeah, you're going to design stuff to try to get the ball out of your quarterback's hand fast. Yeah, it's not going to look flashy, but you win the game because of it. It's, yeah. a, it's a strategic side between the performance of the offensive line that was also assisted by – a smart offensive game plan by Todd Munkin once they realized what they were dealt. They saw it was on the other side of the line and they, they handled it appropriately. So don't, don't be too concerned about that part. But when you look back to the defensive side of it and you look at that, that offensive line, defensive line battle, defensive front seven for Georgia, Georgia had a pass rush at will. Anytime they wanted to, they could get to that quarterback and pressure or quarterback hurry 21 times throughout the entire game on top of their seven sacks. It's because they really, literally, they were getting to the quarterback, hitting the quarterback with three guys rushing consistently. Consistently, three guys rushing, and you could get some, you, somebody was getting free. You have that. And I think part of that is because of the same thing. And, and you mentioned something in the post game from, Kirby, if you watched, if you saw the post-game interview, the questions that were asked to Jordan Davis, he was asked about, you know, the, how he kind of maybe expected or experienced, you know, some of the double teams and even triple teams, some that they would send on that offensive line at him. And his response was perfect. And it, it, it played out the exact same way. He said, I always say, if there's two on me, somebody's free. We rushed three people, three defensive linemen, two or three people on the offensive line focusing on Jordan Davis. So, yeah, you have Nolan Smith coming around the left side getting a sack for the first sack of the game. And then you have Nicobe Dean screaming up the middle untouched sack. Because they're twice. concerned about Jordan Davis at, at the nose tackle. you got your center and both guards focusing on Jordan Davis. So then you have Nicobe Dean come plug right through that, that B gap or A gap, just screaming through and getting two sacks in the game. That's that's how they won that game. Their defensive line, led by Jordan Davis, who's drawing a lot of attention from Clemson's offensive line, opened up extreme gaps. But plus, they just had the defensive line in general could reset the line of scrimmage consistently. There was one play, actually, that Brooks broke down, if you watch it, and it's Devontae Wyatt. He's sitting there 
And it, he almost like he, he slowed it down. You can look and he's almost kind of just standing straight up with the, the center pushed right up against him. He's just standing kind of straight up, almost looking over his shoulder, seeing, oh, what's going on? Oh, they're passing instantly. It, he flipped a switch. He was standing straight up looking like this for a second. All of a sudden he realized they're passing. And half a second later, he's got the center or the guard. I can't remember which one pushed into the quarterback because he goes, oh, crap. And just immediately, I'm just like because he he didn't he didn't care, and all of a sudden he saw what was going on. He said, "Oh, I got you." Bullied, just straight bully ball. That is the difference between a SEC versus an ACC team. It is that hard nosed type football that really plays out in games like that. Georgia understood that. The coaching staff understood that, and they decided that they would use that against Clemson and win the game that way. Enjoy it. That's all you got to do. Enjoy it. Yeah. And then, I mean, we can kind of touch on this now. I feel like it's a good time to kind of talk about this is what this all, what a loss means for Clemson as well. I mean, you want to talk about really why Georgia should appreciate this one. Let's flip it over to what this means for Clemson. Now Clemson now has to, has to win out, win the rest of their games without a doubt in order to get, they have to win them commandingly too, to be quite frank. Yeah. They, They can't just win by, they can't win all their games by one score. Because their strength of, strength of schedule is not great this year at all. Yeah, and I mean, and after Saturday, after watching that offensive line just get absolutely demolished play after play, I don't know if you can say that confidently for Clemson. I mean, I know it's the ACC, and I know that, of course, their, their opponents are not as strong as Georgia, and you're not they're probably not going to face another defensive line like Georgia, or they won't face another defensive line like Georgia's unless they make the college football playoff. But, I mean – when you have an offensive line that's as bad as that, and then you also throw in an inexperienced quarterback as well who struggled when he got pressured, I mean, you, you almost have to think that there's probably going to be another game where they're neck and neck with someone and the offense isn't clicking and they got to make some plays. So pressure is really on for Clemson right now. And, I mean, and we've it seems like every year when they throughout their ACC schedule, there's a, an opponent that they play that they probably shouldn't struggle with but they always seem to, and it really comes down to one final play or one final drive. So if that happens this year and they come on the wrong end of it, boom, playoff hopes, done. Down the drain until next year. See you, Clemson. So, I mean, pressure is on for DJU to perform now. He feels like probably that it's all on his shoulders. Like, all right, I got to step up. Got to start making plays for us. Got to find a way to win these games for us now. And then, and that's standing behind the offensive line that looked horrendous. Last Saturday, I mean, absolutely horrendous. Didn't even. I mean, I don't know if there's a single good thing you could say about them after last Saturday. So pressure was really on for Clemson. So you want to talk about how much a win means for them, or how much a win means in the last Saturday? Just ask Clemson right now how they're feeling. And to kind of go into that a little bit more as well, when you look at Clemson, we talked about it last week. We kind of made fun of the article that ESPN put out that said like if if Clemson lost, still won every other game after this, won the ACC championship game, that they would get left out for uh, left out of the playoffs. And part of what made us laugh about it was not only did they say they would get left out of the playoffs, but they said that, that an Oregon team would take over that spot in the final four, um, which that was more of the laughing matter for us in the, in that one, which by the way, Oregon, they won, but they almost lost the first. You'll find State. out a lot about Oregon this Saturday when they play Ohio State. Ohio State. And I have a feeling you're going to find out some really bad things about Oregon. If I had to guess. Yeah. Just a couple days away. Today is Wednesday, September 8th. It's like 8.06 right now. So just a few more days, and you get to see that one play out. But, no, I don't think that they're going to have a good year. They struggled against Fresno State. Once again, they won by one touchdown. 
Same victory margin that Georgia had, but it was a very different game when you look back on it and see how that game played out versus a much, much inferior team of Fresno State. So that was that was what made us laugh the at the beginning of it with um, Clemson being left out of it. But when you look at it, I still think that in that in that scenario, if they were to win out, that they're going to be in. But this is the scenario that's now been created for it, right? So Clemson wins out the rest of their games. Their strength of schedule, like I mentioned earlier, is not good at all this year, even in the ACC standards. They don't play Miami, they don't play Virginia Tech, and they don't play my um, North Carolina from the opposite side of the conference this year. So they don't play either of those teams that are considered the stronger side of that other conference. So now you pair that in with you lost to Clemson or to Georgia to start the season off. You don't really have much time to make up that with the teams that you play against to really give the argument because what it does is it creates a scenario. Say there's a one loss Pac-12 champion. There's a Clemson that's one loss ACC champion. Maybe there's a Georgia or a Bama that is a one loss SEC runner up. Or just even imagine this for the SEC. And imagine imagine this game. happens. Georgia goes undefeated for the rest of the season. Alabama goes undefeated for the rest of the season. They match up against each other in the SEC championship game. That means one of them is going in with one loss. But then also throw in a one-loss Texas A&M, who lost to Alabama by seven, we'll say. So you have an 11-1 and Texas A&M. You have an SEC champion of Alabama or Georgia, and then one of the other of Georgia and Alabama one loss are one-loss. And then you have ACC champion Clemson, who's 11-1, and and then maybe they really didn't play all that well in their ACC schedule. And their only loss comes to the only good team that they played in the regular season. And well. it didn't look exactly pretty. Mm-mm. Didn't look good for them. That's either. where this gets dangerous for Clemson. It, it can. The scenario has now been set to where it could damage their playoff hopes, which it does open up the door for the second SEC team or for a Pac-12 team or somebody to slip into that fourth spot. Absolutely, it does open that spot up. Now, if it's going to be a Pac-12 team at this point, it looks like it would end up being UCLA instead of Oregon, based on the first couple games. Um, you know, I know we only saw one game from Oregon, but we have seen two games from UCLA. They're pretty good, and they demolished Hawaii the first time. They beat LSU last week. Beat them pretty handedly. One of the only two SEC teams to lose last week was LSU. And then, of course, Vanderbilt, who played against a high school team, basically. (laughs) And still lost. And still lost. Um, We shouldn't even count them as an SEC team anymore. (laughs) They basically aren't. Not for football. When it comes to baseball season, though, we'll count them. Baseball (laughs) and academics and stuff, you know, you keep them around for that kind of stuff. But when it comes to football, it's rough. Um, But anyways, I mean, when you look at it like that, and, and how it plays out for for Clemson the rest of the way, they should be concerned about that playoff spot. They do have to be perfect the rest of the way, whereas Georgia would have been that team where they needed to be perfect the rest of the way and where they would have had to win their ace, their SEC championship game, which the difference in that scenario is Clemson plays a North Carolina or a Virginia Tech or a Miami or somebody on the other side versus Georgia turns around and plays an Alabama or a Texas A&M. Most likely a top four team. A top in the four SEC team. championship game. That's who they have to be perfect against and end up beating. Whereas now the scenario for Georgia has been created where they can win the rest of their regular season games because their their schedule is built perfectly for that. No, they don't have a great strength of schedule the rest of the way through, but the, the top five win in week one solidifies the strength of schedule part for that. And then it turns around and you have to then play against another, like you said, most likely top five ranked team in an SEC championship game that – you don't now. Now you don't have to win. You don't have to win. No. Georgia's been a two-loss team in that situation where the argument was should they be in, and they ended up at five. 
create the same scenario where they're a one-loss team, Georgia gets in. Yeah. Both of those other scenarios, Georgia gets in. Yeah, I know. So at this point, that's the table that's been set for Georgia. So that's why I say sit back and, and enjoy the season that's coming for Georgia because you can actually sit there and just watch this team improve every week, bring back some of the star players that are missing by the time they get to that game. And if they were to lose that game, granted you can't get blown out, they were to lose that game in, in Atlanta, it's not the end of the world because you know that you – took care of business early in the season and you got there undefeated. So that means you're only a one loss team and you make a extremely strong argument to be in the playoffs still. That's why I say as a Georgia fan, now you get to have realistic expectations of Georgia's in the playoffs this year. That's why, because the schedule says that's realistic. The schedule says at this point, Georgia shouldn't lose a game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't come in with the Georgia always loses a game they shouldn't lose. I get out of here. Different year, man. You can't be happy. Different year, man. Don't be that fan that always wants to sit here and say history repeats itself and that Georgia's going to lose that one game and ruin everything. They're always Georgia. They always do that. Can't you just be happy for a minute? Well, if that's the case, then why even bother watching Georgia? There's no point. If you're if you know that for a fact they're going to blow a game that they're not supposed to and crush their playoff hopes every single year, then why even bother watching? If you know how it's going to end, then why watch? It's just you're wasting your every own time. Year's if that's what you really think. Every year's different. Every year's different. Every team is different. You can't say. And, and one thing that you can say is, yeah, that happened before. Kirby's shown that he's. We've talked about this on the show. I won't get too deep into it. He's shown that he can make those adjustments. And willing to learn and improve. willing to learn from his, his mistakes and improve that scenario moving forward. So he doesn't just sit here and have the same mistake after same mistake. And no, you can't say he's had the same mistake of losing games. He shouldn't lose or, you know, in his tenure at Georgia, because you're going to sit here and say that they shouldn't have lost to, Al- or to Auburn in 2017. Guess what? They turned around. They were on the road in a very, very tough environment playing and stuff fell apart early. And so the game got away from, them. yeah, guess what? They played Auburn again in the SEC championship game, won that game. Who cares about the loss? You can't even, there's no point even talking about that loss. They got to the playoffs, got to a national championship game. That loss, irrelevant. Don't say that they shouldn't have lost that game. And also you say they shouldn't have lost it. They were on the road to the SEC West champion. That's not a, that's not a shouldn't have lost game at that point. They beat Bama. Mm -hmm. I mean, end of story. That's not a game you shouldn't have lost. Second game is going to be LSU's, the example everybody uses. On the road, once again, in Baton Rouge, very, very tough environment. Same scenario starts to happen. Everything starts to, to unravel on you. You fumble a punt. You shank a punt. And just everything starts to happen like that. You have Jake Fromm who can't hit the broadside of a barn in that game all of a sudden after he's been consistent enough throughout the year. And it just falls apart. Guess what, though? That same LSU team the next year has the best offense, probably the best college football team that we've seen in decades outside of what we see from Bama all the time. They were ridiculous the very next year. There's not that much difference in that team in the next year. The only game you have validity in when you say they lost the game they shouldn't have lost is South Carolina in 2019. That's it. That's one game. Yeah, they shouldn't have lost it. That team had a James Coley offensive coordinator who was dismissed from the team the next in the offseason. He's how often do you see an offensive coordinator come in and get fired after one year? Not often. So that says something there. Yeah, Jake Fromm, who was a great game manager, but he didn't have extreme arm talent, so you didn't have that guy at quarterback. And then 
you didn't have any wide receivers for him to throw to. The, you, your two wide receivers were George Pickens as a true freshman who was great. But you also had Lawrence Cager as your you know grad transfer that came in from Miami who was hurt all year as well. And that was his two receivers to throw to. So then you take out Lawrence Cager and then who do you have? So, yeah, that game they shouldn't have lost. No. But they did. And you can count that as that. But you can't say consistently they've lost a game that they shouldn't have lost with Kirby Smart. End of discussion. So with what that tells me is the rest of the schedule for Georgia, you should expect a win. Yeah, some games might not be pretty because, yeah, there's some teams out there that might surprise us and, you know, hit you on the chin a little bit. Watch out for Kentucky. That team is going to be better than people expect. They show that they can actually score this year in their first game of the season. Yeah, they, I know these teams are or it's week one and they're not playing a bunch of crazy opponents, but they, they show that they could score. They haven't done that like that. They don't beat teams no. the way that they did this past weekend the way they did. They, they just hadn't done that. So that team is somebody you've got to watch out for. You always got to watch out for Florida. So those two teams, when they when they come up to those matchups, understand that they could be closer games than you want them to be. But it doesn't mean that your team is going to fall apart because of it. Sit back, enjoy the ride, and know that this is Georgia's realistic chances, realistic expectations of being a playoff team. That's all I got to say. I mean, like Kirby Smart's always said, pressure is a privilege. So pressure's on you now. You're, I mean, like I said, you're number two team in the nation right now. So, and this, and I'll get into this too. This is something that always irritates me is that like they're all people always like, I don't want Georgia being ranked number one. Why the heck not? Why I don't I, want the? I saw this on Twitter today, and I'm glad you brought it up. I don't want the target on our back of being the number two or number one. Heck, team I do. I would want that. I mean, I want everybody to know who they're going up against when they see Georgia on their schedule. You're going up against the number two or number one ranked team in the nation. Let everybody know. You should want that. That is what comes with being a national champion. You should want to be number one in the nation. You should want to have that top ranking in the league. You should want that. These are not these are not things that you should be afraid of or like because it seems like every time Georgia gets ranked number one that we lose again. Screw that. Screw all of that. You should want to be ranked number one in the nation right now. That is who the, Kirby Smart is trying to create this team to be. Kirby is wanting this team to be the best in the league. That's what he wants. That's what these players want. That's what the fans should want. You should want to be ranked number one in the nation every single year, every single week. I mean, heck, you're, people are always saying, we want Georgia to be the next Bama. Bama's ranked number one right now. I mean, that should be what, what who you want to be. Bama's ranked number one, it seems, every single week. So why not? Why guess don't what? You, they win. Why don't you want to be ranked number one? That, I mean, you should want that. I mean, you should want that. That is not something you should be afraid of. Screw all of that talk about we don't want to be ranked number one. Screw all of that, man. You're worried about a target being painted on your back because you're number one, number two in the country. I mean, what difference does it make if you're number three? I mean, Target was paying on. Target has been on your back with you just having a Georgia G on the side of your helmet for most of these teams that you play. The ones you got to be concerned about: Florida, yeah. Auburn, Tennessee, all of them. They could care less what rank you are. I mean, they're gonna they're gonna hate you and come after you no matter where you're ranked or even if you are unranked. So who cares? I mean, you have a Target on your back just because of the colors that you wear on your jersey. Let's be real; it has nothing to do with your rank. These games all matter. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it, sure, it adds some emphasis when Georgia is ranked in the top five. But nonetheless, you should want to be ranked number one in the nation. You should want everybody to recognize you as the best team in the nation every single week. That is what you should want and strive for. Let me put it this way as well to kind of give perspective towards that. So Georgia is 
the SEC East target, regardless of their rank, right now, if even if they stayed five, right? Say that didn't change at all after this week. Say they stayed at five, maybe four. How does it change the target they have on their back in the SEC East already? You've already got Florida gunning for you every single year, and that's usually the game that's deciding factor between the conferences, which gives you that playoff opportunity because you then go to the SEC championship game where you get to make your case for being where you should be in the in, in the postseason. That's your target already. It doesn't make a difference if Florida sees you as number four or five versus number two or number one in the country when they play because they still have to beat you to get to their next step in their season regardless. It doesn't change anything for them. What your ranking is, if you're already considered the the team to beat in the SEC East, everyone going into the year already said George is the team to beat. That's your target. Don't pay attention to the little number that's scribbled by the AP polls. Which, by the way, mean nothing until the college football playoff is released at the end of the season, where everything's they already don't start established. Until but even those, even like those don't even necessarily matter until the final they one is submitted. They change so constantly. Numbers, who cares? Until that final number, until those final four numbers are established at the very end of the season, those rankings don't mean squat. If you think that the players on either team, any team, pay that much attention to where it genuinely makes that big of a difference on them. They they have their priorities messed up. They're looking at all right. We got Georgia. That's all they're focusing on. Like Georgia's Georgia a good team. Look at I know it was he's saying it because he's being polite and stuff like that. Um, but this is the kind of mindset that I genuinely think that Kirby has, and that I think he instills into the players at Georgia. After the game, he sits there. You kind of commented on his his quote at the at the end of the game that he had there, and he goes. You know, it's the same thing that even if we had lost this game, we still got another game next week to prepare for, and we got another great team to play next week. He's talking about UAB, man. He's talking about how this great team that they got to play next week, and it's UAB. That's the mindset that they have. That's the mindset that the players have. And guess what? When you go into a game like this UAB, and this we won't really talk about that too much because for time's sake, um, you know, obviously Clemson and Georgia had a lot more to talk about there. That game is a great game for young players to get some experience. We'll see a different quarterback come in for Georgia at some point in time, probably by halftime or probably around that time. Questions: Who's it going to be? Most likely, you're looking at a, a Carson Beck or a you know the mailman, you know a Stetson Bennett. That's the question to watch with this game when you come up to it. That's what they're preparing. These young guys get a chance to get that experience and grow because they're playing against a team that it gives them a chance to get better, and they're preparing because. Kirby Smart sitting there saying, we got another game against a great team coming up this week that we got to start preparing for on Monday. That's that's their mindset, and that's how they get better. That's how other teams handle it or should handle it too. So it doesn't matter if you've got a number two next to your name or number five. Who cares? It doesn't matter right now. They all have to go out and win their game today. That's it. Week by week, that's all you got to take it by. You start looking at that number and that, you know, everything like that. That's how you fall apart as a team. Yeah, absolutely. If you think that this team is going to be impacted by that, once again, why watch the game, man? Yep. Don't you want to be a, a top-ranked team? in the? Don't you want to be at the end of the year, you know, having an argument for being one of the final four teams? That comes with having that number two next to your name. I mean, I know when I work at something, I want to be recognized as the best to do it at the time. I want to be recognized as the best in that industry or the best in that group. Yeah, you got to consistently perform afterwards, but yeah. it's a good expectation. 
expectation and, and pressure are a privilege. That's why he says that, because it is. It is a privilege. Once again, sit back, enjoy the ride that George is about to take you on this year. It's going to be a different type of year than you're used to as a Georgia fan. I'm a Georgia fan. He's a Georgia fan. We know that. We get it, man. Don't live by the history and say that it's going to rewrite itself. Sit back and enjoy it. Don't sit here and say they're winning a national championship either because there's still too much to play into that. Don't be on either side of the spectrum there. Sit back and enjoy the team for what it is. They're a playoff contention team with an opportunity to win a national championship. Not saying they will, not saying they won't. We don't know yet because there's a lot left to play out for that. A lot to learn about this team. But after week one, what we did learn, they can beat a top five team in the country by playing bully ball and walking away without all their starting weapons on offense and still win that game. Yep. By all means, we can win by one point. I don't care. They could win every game. I don't care if they win by one touchdown to UAB. I don't, because as long as they win every single game, that means they have their chance at the end of the year. Dub is a dub. Those man. are the ones that are going to matter that you once again win. And because once again, when it gets to those games, when it gets to an Alabama game, are you going to care if they win by one, two points? Heck no. Are you getting to a playoff game? Are you going to care if they win by one or two points? Nope. You get to a national championship game. Are you going to care if they win by one possession? Boy, Georgia fans wouldn't care if that game was one, one to nothing. But watch this. I'm bookmarking stuff. I see the people talking out there. If Georgia wins a national championship by one score and you're jumping for joy and going crazy and saying this team is incredible, it's the best thing you've ever seen, I'm going to remind you that Georgia only beat Clemson by one score and their offense looked like crap in the first week. Just got to find a way. All you got to do is win the game. Just Plus, find a way. you have more reason to keep up with the show because – before the game last week, uh, actually right after our show last week, I was talking to – I noticed, uh, noticed Jonathan over here started getting a little bit of <laughs> facial hair going. So he – I told him, I said, you know, if we win on Saturday – excuse me, voice crack again. What? If we win on Saturday, you can't shave your beard because it was he man, hadn't had one. Man, I don't you know if I can out. stick this thing out, man. It's, it's getting a little rustic looking, man. I don't know. Give if it up. Give it. I'll do it with you. Oh, man, I don't I'll know. I'll hold out. I mean, I will say, it, it looks pretty good right now, but I mean, I don't know, man. I, I don't know if I'm feeling it. So we'll, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> Maybe next week you can come back and find out if, it, if the beard is still intact. If he shaves the beard and then we lose the game, it's his fault. <laughs> I, okay, fine. I, I guess I'm willing to take that if I decide to. We'll see, though. We'll see. I don't know. We'll see. Just saying. Just saying. <laughs> All right, so we've just creeped over an hour at this point, so – we won't hold too much of your time anymore. We appreciate you listening. Uh, make sure you subscribe and like the video if you're watching there or if you're listening to it on your favorite podcast network. Make sure you like and subscribe there as well. Um, reach out to us on social media, on Twitter at Dogs Daily P-O-D, and then on Facebook, facebook.com slash Dogs Daily P-O-D. And we look forward to hearing from you. And we look forward to enjoying the ride that George is about to take you on this year. So with that being said, as always, Keep it classy in the classic city, and we'll catch you guys next week. 
Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Dogs Daily on Sports Illustrated. Take a second to subscribe, rate, review, and share with your friends and family. Feel free to reach out to the Dogs Daily crew on Twitter with any topics you'd like discussed. You can reach out to Jeremiah at Jeremiah underscore Stod 7, to Kyle at DK Fubderberg, and Jonathan at 22 underscore J-Man. Check back next week for a brand new episode. In the meantime, go dogs. <laughs>